Welcome to Unfolding Words. I'm your host, Antracia Moorings. This week, we are going to talk about a passage of scripture that you are probably very familiar with and have heard taught over many times. But I want to offer a different perspective on this scripture, which is the story of the golden calf. And I've shared this before on Instagram and received a lot of good feedback about how insightful it was. So I'm hoping that you'll be able to glean something from this podcast episode today. The story of the golden calf sounds ridiculous to us today. Like why would these people construct a golden calf and worship it? Like we are far too sophisticated for that, right? But the story of the golden calf has much more to do with the context of the culture in which they lived and explains why the golden calf made perfect sense to them. And we'll be able to relate that to our culture today and how idolatry and this idea of the golden calf still exists for us today and can even look just as ridiculous if we really take a step back. So as I mentioned, we all know the story of the golden calf. Moses went up to the mountain to hear from God and the people, the Israelites, got impatient and asked Aaron, who was the high priest, to make a God for them who would go before them. So I'm going to read Exodus chapter 32. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, up, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So Aaron said to them, take off the rings of gold that are in the ears of your wives, your sons and your daughters and bring them to me. So all the people took off the rings of gold that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf. And they said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. And they rose up early the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. But before the golden calf, Moses went up to the mountain to meet God. This sets the stage for why a calf was even chosen. And I'm going to read Exodus 20, verse 18 through verse, I think through verse 20. It says, now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled. And they stood far off and said to Moses, you speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. Moses said to the people, do not fear for God has come to test you that the fear of him may be before you that you may not sin. The people stood far off while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. So we see that as Moses rose up to the mountain, there was lightning and thunder and just a spectacle in the sky. And given the history of this time, storm imagery is commonly connected to divine appearances in the Old Testament, and also in ancient Near Eastern literature. So storm imagery was 
something that was common for these people at this time. And Yahweh's presence came along with this storm god imagery that was similar to how the Canaanite storm god Baal might have been described. So it's rooted in a popular belief in the storm god who was known or was known by different names in different regions. So for the Palestines, he was known as Baal. He was known as Marduk in Mesopotamia. And also these gods or deities were always associated with a particular mountaintop. And this scene in Exodus is just another example of God appearing in ways that were similar to the ways that the storm gods appeared to the other nations outside of Israel. And this outcome of thunder and lightning sparked a reverence among the people because that's how the gods would appear at this t- at this time. So this incident is very much steeped in what was going on in culture at the time. So, like I said, a calf made perfect sense to the Israelites and everyone around them, even though it makes no sense to us. So we have to remember that just a few months prior to this, the Israelites were deeply influenced by the pagan culture that they had been in for hundreds of years. So this was normal to them and serving God, Yahweh, was new to them. So they were learning something new and trying to come out of their own way, their old ways. They had all grown up in a society that was devoted to a religious system and a way of life that was idolatrous. And so it was understandable, but not excusable, that they used these idolatrous ways to try to approach Yahweh and to seal this covenant that he was establishing with them. Exodus 24, 15 and 18 says, Then Moses went up on the mountain, and the cloud covered the mountain. The glory of the Lord dwelt on Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered it six days. And on the seventh day, he called to Moses out of the midst of the cloud. Now the appearance of the glory of the Lord was like a devouring fire on the top of the mountain in the sight of the people of Israel. Moses entered the cloud and went up on the mountain. And Moses was on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. Now for this time, the ancient Near Eastern culture, cattle were an important part of everyday life. So the gods often resembled cattle and they were commonly worshipped for their fertility and their strength. And there were Egyptian gods that included this image of a calf or a bull. There were Egyptian gods named Sin and Apis that had this imagery of a calf or a bull. And so the Israelites likely learned of this cattle-like god while they were in Egypt And the golden calf is often linked to the sun god Ra, who's the father of the Egyptian gods. And the apis bull of Memphis, Egypt, was also related to Ra, the sun god. So the golden calf could also represent deities other than Yahweh. And the bull was associated with Sin, Anat, El, and Baal in the ancient Near East. So we see here that the Israelite people demanded that Aaron make gods for them because they feared that Moses had died while he was on Mount Sinai. They didn't know what had become of Moses because he had been up there so long. So they requested of Aaron 
that he get busy making them a new God. So Aaron, very obediently, (laughs) made the only kind of God he knew how to make a golden idol. And he shaped it into a young bull, which was probably a golden calf, which is what it was called, in the style that the Egyptians made it. The Egyptians worshipped a number of animal-like deities, as I mentioned earlier. They worshipped Hathor, who was represented by the head of a cow, and Isis, the queen of the gods, who had horns on her head. And then there was Minwar, the sacred bull of Ra, whose skin was covered with gold. But the ultimate in bull worship was the Apis bull, which was considered to be this manifestation of Ptah, the creator god who was worshipped at Memphis in Lower Egypt. And this bull lived in very palatial settings in a temple, but only in the higher echelons of society. And this, these people who were on the upper scale of society were the only ones who were allowed to view it from special windows. And when this bull died, its death was treated like the death of a pharaoh. And the remains were mummified. And there were images of calves and bulls because they were associated with the strength and power of a god. And the idols, as well as certain live animals, came to be seen as embodiments of God. So it was hard and very difficult to get Egypt out of the Israelites, much harder than it was to get the Israelites out of Egypt. And when they started to sense that things weren't going right with their new God, Yahweh, God's people wanted to run back to the ways that they knew, back to the ways of Egypt. And so they ran back to the gods of Pharaoh, their former leader. So as soon as Aaron made this unholy cow, they started to worship it. And by the next day, the whole camp of Israel had spiraled downward into pagan debauchery. So Aaron told the people to remove their gold jewelry and give it to him, which they did. He collected it and fashioned it into this calf. And then Aaron told the people that there would be a festival for Yahweh. And when Aaron made the idol, Moses at the same time was speaking to Yahweh on Mount Sinai. This festival that Aaron had called for was similar to Egyptian bull worship. But the ritual that they were partaking in was not tied to a fertility ritual, but instead a victory celebration with the golden calf symbolizing Yahweh as their war leader. And the fact that Aaron called for this festival immediately after making the golden calf and then saying that the festival was unto Yahweh was similar to what the Egyptians did with Apis, the sacred bull that was worshipped in Memphis. So from the earliest history of the Egyptians, they were introduced to a religious system where there were these festivals for the worship of Apis and this bull called Menevis. They found in the hieroglyphics that this bull's name was also Hapi, H-A-P-I, and it meant the hidden because this special godlike cattle or calf had to be discovered among all of the cattle that existed in Egypt, which was done by recognizing certain marks that would be on the 
godlike calf. So Apis is first mentioned and appears in the monuments in the fourth dynasty of the Egyptians. And the two bulls, Apis and Menevis, are considered to be the moon and the sun. And they both were buried at Memphis. And the story behind them is that this sacred cow was supposed to have been born of a virgin cow who became pregnant by a moonbeam or a flash of lightning. And the Egyptians believe that a flash of lightning descended upon the cow from heaven, and this caused her to receive Apis, the sacred bull. And so the storm god Aided is shown standing on the back of a galloping bull calf and hurling thunderbolts. Storm clouds in the ancient texts were called Adad's calves. And God descending on Mount Sinai as a storm cloud, as Moses was up there talking to him, where it was full of lightning bolts or thunders, set the stage for what the Israelites thought was happening, given the background that they came from. So they would have seen this as a storm god standing on a storm cloud calf descending on Mount Sinai. They took what they knew about gods and applied it to Yahweh from what they saw. So the festival of the Apis bull lasted for seven days, and this sacred bull was led through the streets as the people cheered. And this Apis bull was considered to be the most sacred. The ancient Greek historian Herodotus wrote that the Apis was the calf of a cow, which is never afterwards able to have another. So the birth of an Apis calf was a time for celebration among the ancient Egyptians. This meant that a living God had been born in their midst. And the Egyptians celebrated the festival of the Apis bull. And there were throngs of people that watched the priest lead the sacred bull in a procession through the crowds. And they thought that any child who smelled the breath of the Apis bull had the ability to predict the future. And the Apis itself was often consulted as an oracle. So they would go to it to find out what the gods were saying to them. The Egyptians would ask the bull a question and then offer it food. And if the bull ate the food, it was a good omen. But if the bull rejected the food, that meant that was a bad omen. But more than it just being a sacred animal, the Apis was for the Egyptians and probably the Israelites, a tangible, living, breathing expression of a God that they could not see and touch in everyday life. The Apis was sort of an intermediary between humans and the all-powerful God. And through Apis, Egyptians could talk to God and even ask questions. But when Aaron was building this golden calf, it's unlikely that he intended for the calf to represent Yahweh himself, because he actually proclaimed a festival in honor of Yahweh when he finished making it. But this was common for the Israelites. They would often create a festival in the name of Yahweh, but everything around it spoke about apostasy and idolatry. It was a way for them to sort of legitimize their perversion. And this is what was happening when they created the golden calf and held this festival. So the goal was to mix enough of the familiar with the truth in order to validate something that God would accept. 
And we know that God will never accept worship that is tainted by idolatrous worship. So the key to understanding this story is to see it in its context and where it sits in the Old Testament. This story of the golden calf comes right between the instructions that God gave for the tabernacle, how it was to be built. He gave Moses specific instructions for how the tabernacle was to be built. And then we have right after that, the story of the golden calf followed by the actual construction of the tabernacle. And Dr. Elsie Stern wrote in this book called The Torah, A Woman's Commentary. This arrangement affirms that the tabernacle, unlike the calf, is an appropriate response to the people's need for a physical location where they can gain access to God. So the calf was like a replacement for the tabernacle, which God had just told them was the only legitimate place for them to experience God's presence. And the people didn't ask for Aaron to take Moses' place, but to build a replacement, whether this replacement was for Moses or for Yahweh when they asked him to build this golden calf. So Israel's sin was improper and inappropriate worship to God. And it seemed that they really did have God in mind because it says in Exodus 32 and 4, this is your God, O Israel, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. For them, this golden calf represented the God that they couldn't see or touch up there on the mountain. But when they requested Aaron to make them a God, what they wanted was a God to lead them because they didn't know where in the world Moses was, the one who had led them out of Egypt. So they felt that they needed someone, some kind of God to lead them further along the way. They knew that they needed a mediator. So they felt that they should construct one themselves, which is where the golden calf came in. So a lot of commentators say that this calf was not a replacement, but instead it was a vehicle on which God's presence could ride. But we know that God had already established a place for his presence. So this whole episode in the Old Testament about the golden calf is written for our spiritual benefit. It's not just for us to shake our heads at the Israelites and say how ridiculous they are. The New Testament says that these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, people sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in pagan revelry. So all of these things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us. So we can easily look at this golden calf and think it's ridiculous, but we're prone to do the same things. We are so bent on creating idols of our own, even today, despite having examples of what it does to us and to our souls. Recently, my pastor gave an illustration of how some people still do animal worship. We worship the Chicago Bulls, the Baltimore Ravens. Sports often takes the place of God. We root them on. We cheer for them. Our identity is wrapped up in sports often and it becomes an idol to us. But maybe sports isn't your thing. Maybe you're into the Chevy Impala or the Dodge Viper, cars named after animals. And those are your idols. We could go on and on with the 
types of idols that we have in our lives, but just know that we are not exempt from idolatrous ways. What the Israelites did ought to serve as a warning to us because we're tempted to commit these same sins, sad as it sounds. And as we study Exodus, we see how the story of Israel's salvation gets retraced in our own lives. And just like the Israelites, we're in the wilderness between baptism, which happened to them as they crossed the Red Sea and the promised land. So we're in that same place. We've been baptized. We're identified with Christ and we're yet waiting for our promised land. This is the same place that the Israelites were in. And when things get difficult, we want to return to our own Egypts as well. Our old way of doing things, our sin that feels so comfortable to us. So the story of the golden calf tells us not just what happened in history, but it tells us what happens today in our present world. It uncovers the idolatry that exists in our own lives and hearts. And by looking at how the Israelites fell into idolatry, we can see the same pattern of sin in our own lives. And so we need to learn how to obey God. We need to learn from them the way, the things not to do and the things to do. And so this unholy cow that was erected in the Old Testament points to the fact that we can fall into sin when, when we don't believe God, when we don't trust him. But we fall into sin when we don't do what God tells us to do. Sin is disobedience to God. When he tells us what to do, which he has done, he's given us his word, which outlines what his will is for us. So if we fail to do that, that's disobedience. And that's when we fall into sin. And that's when we're most likely to build those golden calves in our own lives. So I pray that you were able to get something useful from this learn something more about the role of the golden calf and how it's not as ridiculous as it really sounds because it made perfect sense to the Israelites given their culture and the time that they were living in. So if you'd like to geek out over scriptures, dig deeper into the context, I have some Bible studies that will help you do that. I have one on Genesis chapters 1 through 11 called Dust and Divinity and another on the book of Ruth called Harvest of Kindness. And you can find those on my website at unfoldingwords.com. Thank you so much for tuning in this week and listening. I will be back here next week. Thank you for joining me. Until then, may God's word be a lamp to your feet and a light to your path. God bless you.